Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Here's a verse I know you know. It goes like this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That, of course, is John 3.16. And believe it or not, we're going to spend the whole hour breaking this verse, this one verse down with my friend and Bible teacher and mentor, Jeff Verdorn, who's joining me uh, for the full hour. Jeff, welcome. Hi, Bill. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you. Now, I understand that this was a part of a message that you gave recently, and you had an opportunity, and you had two minutes to talk about it, and then you've spent the next uh, amount of time breaking it down, making it a full-hour presentation for us. I did. So, unfortunately, I had a, a funeral uh, of a family member here this past Saturday, and um, the the... The guy's two children who are grown up, they're graduated from college. Well, one's graduated, one's about graduated. They um, they asked me to just do a little thing on, on John 3.16 and on assurance of salvation. Um, their father had a simple faith, and uh, the family all believed that because of that simple faith that he was in heaven. And, you know, I, I, I have to tell you, I, I have been to funerals of unbelievers— and I have been to funerals of believers, and I can tell you they're two different things. Um, we celebrated um, this man's life and celebrated the fact that he had eternal life mm-hmm. in Christ Jesus and that he was in heaven. And there's a passage, I, th- I think it's in Corinthians, Paul says that we mourn as Christians, but not like those who have no hope. And Christians have a hope that mm-hmm. one day we will be united again uh, in heaven, in eternity. We will see our loved ones who are believers again. And uh, so I, I spoke just briefly on John 3.16, but I, it's this verse has just been dwelling in my mind this week. And I thought, oh, we got to do this on the radio this week. So Yeah, and then as I was introducing the segment, I thought, uh-oh, maybe I shouldn't be disclosing all this personal information about Jeff's speaking at a funeral, so then I had to try to w- walk around it, and then all of a sudden you just come out and say that you <laughs> spoke at a funeral. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe no, that's up the totally first part fine. Of my, I mean, uh, it's the hour. Yeah, it's a, it, it was uh, yeah, it's a sad, and it was uh, you know somewhat unexpected, but uh, you know that 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 God is a God of comfort and he comforts us. Um, and, uh, and we saw that comfort and God is so good and he's so faithful. And, and, uh, they, the family had a, a time, uh, earlier in the week, um, where a lot of the emotion was kind of gotten out, but on Saturday at the service, um, it was just an uplifting, uh, day for everybody just remembering uh, this man and 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 the lord's faithfulness so yeah. it was a good it was good that's awesome and my condolences to the family and to julie and now i would love for you to start digging deep on john 316 
Well, I have been. So one of the things I did was kind of break down John 3.16 in, in this talk, and it was it was uh, I wanted to break it down more and more, and it's like, so that's what we're going to do today. So I thought, you know, John 3.16 is probably, well, I think it is, the most famous verse in the Bible, and probably arguably uh, one of the most important verses in the Bible. For this this one sentence— God's plan of salvation is just so clearly and so simply laid out uh, for all to understand. And so I, I don't know if you remember. You remember the guy with the with the rainbow wig who would oh, yeah. show up at ball games and everything? And he'd always <laughs> what did he hold up? John he always 3, held up this sign, John three sixteen. Um, I think Tim Tebow has had John three sixteen underneath his eyes when he played football at times, and and uh, it's it's a famous verse. I remember a Super Bowl Sunday. John three sixteen was an was an advertisement. I think Focus on the Family uh, paid for a Super Bowl ad, uh, which you know costs I don't know what they spent millions of dollars, and that ad was only this. It was several children, I believe, just reciting John three sixteen. Um, so that's the verse we're going to look at today. So I thought we'd start with the context of John 3.16, and that's so we're turning to John 3. And I'm going to start reading in verse 1 here. So awesome. we're in John 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs that you do if they were not, if God was not with him. So just real quick, a word on Nicodemus. I really like this guy, Nicodemus, in Scripture. Um, we, we actually see him a few times in the book of John. In John 7, he's actually defending Jesus kind of from the religious rulers of the day. And of course, at the end of Jesus's life, when Jesus is crucified, Nicodemus is mentioned once again as one of those who is helping to prepare Jesus's body for burial. And of course, here it says that we recognize that, that you have come from God. So I think Jesus, uh, uh, Nicodemus was one of the good guys. I mean, I think he got who this Jesus was, and uh, I believe he believed in, in Jesus and, and therefore was saved. Yeah, I would too. Verse 3, in reply, Jesus declares, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, here's this phrase. We actually did uh, a program on this a while back, this being born again. Well, born again just simply means salvation. This is a, a description that Jesus gives us that equates to biblical salvation. It's basically our new birth that Scripture talks about. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That moment that we are made new by God, Jesus describes that as a birth, a, a spiritual birth. When you are saved, you literally have a second birthday. In fact, I know some Christians, I don't know if you do, that, that celebrate every year their birthday, their physical birth, but they're also their spiritual birthday, that day that they were born again. Hebrews says it this way, that for those, by the, by the way, nobody in the New Testament 
No, no Jewish leader, no Pharisee, nobody was ever born again in the Old Testament. This is a New Testament concept that only became available once Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection opened up this new birth, this new salvation. So Hebrews 11 says it this way. This is, remember that Hebrews 11 is the uh, the chapter on the hall of faith, right? All these uh, people of faith in the Old Testament. Well, towards the middle of that, it says all these people, these people that live by faith, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. No one in the Old Testament was ever born again. So you, it's it's easy to get after Nicodemus here. He's, we're going to see he doesn't understand what Jesus is talking about. He doesn't understand this concept of being born again, but we can understand why. This is a completely new concept that Jesus is introducing here. Verse 4. How can, So Nicodemus responds to Jesus. How can a man be born when he is old, Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and of spirit. So you need to have a physical birth of water, but you also need that spiritual birth, that spiritual birthday. Verse six, flesh gives birth to flesh. It's reproduction, right? Mm -hmm. But spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. Once again, let's, I don't want to be too hard on Nicodemus here. He just didn't get it. But Nicodemus goes on, verse 9, to say, how can this be? Verse 10, Jesus says, you're an Israel's teacher, and you do not understand these things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one that came from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now, this is an interesting reference, just a little sidebar here. This is actually a reference back to Numbers chapter 21, when God allowed all these snakes to come on this disobedient people, Israel, and people were getting bitten and dying. And so God told Moses in Numbers 21 to make a snake and put it up on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look up at this snake and be healed. And, and actually, this snake on a pole, that imagery is the same imagery we see, for for example, the American Medical Association. What's their symbol? Their symbol for healing is a snake wrapped around the pole. That's a common symbol. A lot of people will say that comes from Greek mythology. Well, Moses is lifting up the snake in the desert predates uh, Greek mythology by hundreds of years. So I think this is the source of that imagery of this snake on a pole for healing. And so just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And of course, this being lifted up is a reference to the cross, where Jesus died for the sins of the world. Verse 15, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Ah, now we get to the heart. Verse 15, everyone who believes may have eternal life. Here's the condition. If you believe, then you will have eternal life. Verse 16. That's where we should pause. Okay, we're going to pause right there. That's the cliffhanger. We're going to (laughs) be right back with Jeff Verdorn. We're talking about 
John 3.16 today, we're going to do a very deep dive on it, and we've already started uh, right in chapter 3, verse 1, and we're now coming right upon the big verse of the day, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. teacher and mentor Jeff Dorn, and we're doing a very deep dive today on John 3.16. So we are um, already through the first 15 verses of the third chapter of John. Now we're coming upon 3.16. Let's get back to it, Jeff. So you did a wonderful job reading it right before the break, but we'll read it again. Verse 16 then says this, quote, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So let's break it down for God. Well, who is God? God is the eternal creator of everything. Nothing was made that's been made except by God's hands. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everything came from him. He is the maker and the sustainer of everything in the universe, and he is the giver of life. To everything that has life came from God. In the New Testament, we find out that it's actually through Jesus Christ that the universe was created. So we see this in, for example, John chapter 3, um, John chapter 1, where it says, through him, Jesus All things were made that were made, and without him, nothing was made. Colossians 1 says that it's for by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and visible, and so on. Hebrews 1 says, but in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir all things and through whom he made the universe. So literally, when we read Genesis 1-1, As New Testament Christians, it really can say, in the beginning, God, through Jesus Christ, made the heavens and the earth. But we know that, right? This is the concept of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus is God. For God so loved. Well, God loves every single person on this planet. He is love. God is love, 1 John 4 says. And because he loves the world, he desires that every single person on the planet be saved, 2 Peter 3 says. That's God's heart. That's God's desire. God's desire is that he wishes none to perish. He wants all men to be saved. And and. Just like God is the one who gives life to everything, we wouldn't even have life without God. So, too, is the same thing with love. He says, we love because he first loved us. 
I don't even think the world, there wouldn't be one ounce of love in this world without the God of love. So he created everything. He gave life to everything. He loves the world. And the only reason we have love is because of God. For God so loved the world. Who does God love? Everyone. All. There, there, are, there are some theologies in Christianity where, that claims that basically God doesn't love everybody on the planet, but the Bible over and over and over again proclaims this love that God wishes none to perish. He wants all to be saved. He loves the world for God so loved the world. It's a very simple concept that God loves all and desires everyone to believe in him. That he gave his one and only son. All right, so this concept of gave, God gave, really, you can think of it this way, that God sent. He sent Jesus, God in the flesh, into the world, uh, basically to, to, to fix the problem of sin that started in the garden, right, back in Genesis chapter 3. So we have this story way back at the beginning of the Bible where God makes man, makes woman, puts them in the garden, gives them this tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil that he's placed there. And he says, don't eat of that tree, but man doesn't listen to him, eats from the tree anyway. And there's this thing called the fall. Mankind was made good in union with God, but there was there was death, and therefore Romans says death came to all men because of this sin. And so there's this thing called spiritual death that happens in Genesis chapter 3. And because of that spiritual death, God had to redeem or send his son or give his son to the world. So Romans 5 says it this way, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what it means that he gave his one and only son. 1 John 4 says it this way. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sin. When he says he gave his only son, this is the fullness of this idea that he loved us so much that he sent his son as, as 2 Corinthians 5 says, that God made him who had no sin to be a sin offering. He came to die for the sins of the world, to redeem mankind from this fall that started in Genesis chapter 3. And make no mistake, just as he loves everyone in this world, so too did he die for everyone in the world. So this is proclaimed over and over and over in Scripture. John uh, Romans 5 says, you see at just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Well, who are the ungodly? That's, that's everyone, for all have sinned, right? Romans 5 says the result of, act of, of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. Romans 6, the death he died, he died to sin once 
for all. First Timothy says that Christ Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all men. For who? For everyone. For all men. Hebrews says that he tasted death for everyone and that he was the sacrifice for their sins for all when he offered himself. And 1 Peter 3 says, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. All means all. Jesus died for the sins of the world. Uh, By the way, that's why John the Baptist at the beginning of the book of John could proclaim, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. All right, Jeff, can I ask the million-dollar question now? So why are not all then saved? Because of the conditional part of this sentence that we are going to get to in a couple minutes. There's a condition that comes along that while Christ died for the sins of the world, God now presents mankind with this condition statement. It's basically an if-then, right? And that's mm-hmm. the next part of the passage. And I guess in the last couple of minutes here, let's, let's introduce the condition part of it. And that is the next part of the verse, that whosoever believes in him right? Should not perish, but have eternal life. So here's now the condition statement. If you believe, then God will save. This is offered to whosoever. God's paved the way. He's made the path of salvation available to all people, and he offers it to all people. And all he's looking for is for you to believe it. So Matthew 7 says this, Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open. Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. John 5, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears these words and believes him who sent, he will have eternal life. John 7, whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from him. John 8, when Jesus spoke to the people, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never lock walk in darkness. Acts 10, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Are you seeing a pattern here? Oh, my ever. Romans 10, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. 1 John 5, anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. And one of my favorites, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, here I am, Jesus says. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. So you hear the gospel, you open the door, which is a metaphor for believing, for having faith. And Jesus says, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. That's a picture of salvation. Mm. All right, Jeff, we will continue our discussion with Jeff Verdorn as we look at in an in-depth study of John three sixteen. So if you are um, just joining us, you're going to want to go to the beginning of this to make sure you don't miss any of it. We'll be right back. Show with Bill. 
So glad to have Jeff Verdorn as my guest and my friend and my, uh, he's a Bible teacher and mentor of mine and always glad to have him on. We're talking about John 3.16 today and kind of doing a deep dive on it. And just, I love the promises. I love uh, the way God loves us and wants none to perish. And if you believe in him, you will not perish. So let's get to that part of John 3.16. Hey, uh, really quick, is that the Go Fish guy? I heard you in the last hour talking about that you're yeah, yeah, upper is. music. Is yeah. it really? I love Go Fish. We I used to too. listen to that all the time. I didn't know that was the Go Fish yeah. guy. Jameson Stadema. He's my friend. Cool. That is yeah. very cool. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, John 3.16. So you got to the condition part of this statement so that whoever believes uh, will be saved. So this word, believes. so this is the core of the condition that you believe. If you believe— then you'll be saved. This is the singular condition that God gives for salvation. There's there's no other conditions. And and by the way, you you can't earn this salvation. You can't buy this salvation. You can't give enough away to charity to to merit your way into this salvation. You can't be good enough uh, to get it. Uh, God does not grade on a curve, by the way. I think there's a lot of people in this world that think, oh, well, I'm better than those really bad, you know, murderers and warmongers and whatever. So I, I think I'm going to heaven. No, you have to be perfect. You have to be holy and righteous to get into heaven. And the only way to do that is by believing through faith. So this, but this it's, and, and, and by the way, it's that simple. This is the condition that God sets. If you believe then you'll be saved. And this pattern of if you believe, then you'll be saved is all over Scripture. So John 6 says that he who believes has everlasting life. John 20 says that you, I hope I write these things that you might believe in Jesus, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Acts 10 says all the test all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes receives forgiveness of sins. Romans 3 says this righteousness salvation from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Romans 10:9 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he's been raised from the dead you will be saved. I mean, again, do do we notice a pattern here? Yeah, we sure do. If you believe, then you'll be saved. I I have a document. I've got like three pages of these passages where Scripture says, if you believe, then you are saved. Just a word, and I've done this before with you, Bill, but it's so important. If I know that most of us don't speak Greek, and for the most part, you don't need to speak Greek. Greek in order to understand the New Testament. But we know that the New Testament was written in Greek, and sometimes it's helpful to go back to the original language, which is easy to do with many tools that are available today. I do it on my phone and on my computer all the time. This Greek word here for believe, this Greek word is pistuo, P-I-S-T-E-U-O. And if you know one Greek word in all of the New Testament, know this word, pistuio. The, the, the noun version of this is pistis. That's translated faith. So both faith and belief, one's the verb, one's the noun. They're both basically the same word, pistis and pistuio. And it means this. Here's the definition, okay, biblically in the Greek. To believe it's true, 
But part two is to entrust for salvation. Believe it's true and entrust for salvation. That is the fullness of this Greek word, pastuyo, and that is the singular condition that God has set for salvation. So one of the great passages in Scripture, Acts uh, chapter 16, where Paul and Silas are in prison, and there's this earthquake, and the prison doors open up, and the jailer is about to kill himself because he thinks all of his prisoners have gotten away, but they're all still there. And earlier in the passage, it says that while they were in prison, they were singing hymns and praising God. So he understood what they were saying, obviously, because the next question he says is, what must I do to be saved? Well, this is as simple of a question as you can get. What is it? How am I saved? What does Paul say? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's that simple. That whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. So now here are the two results of this condition that's set. If you believe, and there's two options, no, you will perish. Yes, you will have eternal life. Have you ever done... uh, have you ever done a flow chart, Bill? I probably did one once for a yeah, school okay. project that I had to. I think I got a D minus on it. <laughs> so thanks, I thanks for bringing consultant. that up, Jeff. Yeah. Okay. More humiliation on my own show. Well, yeah, I did. Uh, so I was a consultant, and we used to flow chart processes. It was something that you did when you were a systems consultant. Well, the condition statement in a flow charting is a diamond shaped. So here, get this picture. If you believe, there's the diamond, mm-hmm. and off to the right, yes. And you would, if you, if you answer that condition in the affirmative, then over to the right, there'd be a box that says you are saved. And coming off that diamond down below to the bottom part, it will say no. Do you believe? No, I don't believe. And then you'd have another box there that says perish. So here's the simple condition statement that God sets for salvation. If you believe, yes, you have eternal life. No, you perish. Uh, just a word, by the way, on this perish. This is the picture of the final judgment of God for the lost. This judgment, by the way, in Scripture, in Revelation, is called the great white throne judgment. And it comes at the end of the millennial reign. All the lost from the beginning of time until the end of time, will appear before this judgment at the great white throne judgment. And Revelation 20, verse 15 says that if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, the book of life of the Lamb, in other words, if they're, if they're, if they're not saved, because all the saved are written in the Lamb's book of life, they will be thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. That's judgment day. That's the day when John 3.16 will come to its, um, will come into its fullness. That's the day that John 3.16 will be consummated. It will Mm -hmm. come into the fullness that whoever believes in him shall not perish being thrown into the lake of fire but have eternal life. Mm -hmm. Before we move on, Jeff, can I raise a question? 
This is out of Matthew chapter 24. I'll read starting in verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. What does that mean? Yeah, Matthew 24 is, um, as we approach the Gospels, we have to be very careful to understand the context of the Gospels. Remember, the church did not exist yet during the Gospels, right? The church didn't start until Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. And so Jesus, who came under the law, he came to the Jews who were under the law, is telling, as he's actually answering the question at the start of Matthew 24, from a Jewish perspective, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus, in his answer in Matthew 24, I believe Matthew 24 is in its entirety all about the tribulation period, which ends later on in Matthew 24 with the second coming of Christ. So everything in context in Matthew 24 is related to events during the tribulation. So some will teach, well, if your love grows cold, you will somehow lose your salvation, you won't make the mark, you won't get into heaven, whatever. That's not what that's saying. We're going to finish up this hour with this concept of our assurance of salvation, that once you're born again, you're born again for all of eternity. So I believe Matthew 24 is not some kind of warning to the Christian that we might lose our salvation in some way, shape, or form. I think Jesus is describing the events of the seven-year tribulation period that's going to come upon the world uh, called the Daniel's 70th week of judgment. And the church, I believe, will not be there because we are going to be raptured up prior to that seven-year period. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't believe that applies directly to the church. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, thank you for that. And also, Jeff, if a person is rebellious, blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and God is a perfect, holy God, what is his love towards this unrepentant blasphemer? In other words, does God still love the unrepentant God-hater? Well, I'm trying to, yeah, ask that question. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I take Scripture at face value that the Creator, the one who gave life to everything— loves every single person that he gave life to. Now, that does not mean that there aren't going to be consequences for their unbelief, because we've got another truth, that God hates sin and hates wickedness. So if you are unsaved, like we just described in the Great White Throne Judgment, those who did not believe, those who did not accept the gift of salvation by faith in Christ and his work on the cross— will be judged at the great white throne and thrown into the lake of fire. Do you know how much God's heart is going to break on that day? Mm-hmm. In fact, this is this is something a lot of Christians don't, don't get. They don't get the timing of it. Remember the passage in Revelation where it says he wipes every tear from our eye? Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will say, well, see, there's no crying in heaven. Well, the fact that we're that God is wiping tears from our eyes— tells us that we're crying up in heaven. But those tears, do you know when those tears come, when when God is wiping those tears, come immediately after the great white throne judgment. Mm-hmm. That's when it says that God wipes every tear from our eye. I think this is the picture. Yeah. That day when every the lost are being thrown into the lake of fire, God's heart is going to break that day. 
and us who are sitting on God's throne judging the world with God, with Christ, our hearts are going to break that day. Mm -hmm. And that's where God says that he wipes every tear from our eye. And then immediately after that, we have the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, and it says that God makes all things new, where there's no more death, no more pain, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more disease. That's the new heaven and mm-hmm. new earth. Jeff, uh, see if you can, in about a minute, uh, make a comment on uh, the easy believism. Uh, I've, I, oh, I hear this easy believism or, the, or it's twin cousin, cheap grace. Yeah. Right? And it's like, oh, my goodness. Grace is amazing. Don't you know that song, Amazing Grace? Yeah. There's nothing cheap about grace. In order to, to, to create this, this, this way of salvation through faith in Christ, God had to, to, to send his son Jesus as a man born of a virgin, live a perfect life, and die on the cross for the sins of the world. What do you mean it's easy? <laughs> yeah, what do you exactly. mean it's cheap? This is God's plan of salvation. This is his only requirement that, um, that you believe. That's all, that's all God wants. So mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't like the phrase easy believism or cheap grace because I, I know what God did in order to open up the door for us to be able to right. believe and right. be saved. Right, but when you talk about believing, confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart, but the pastuio, Greek word of, of believe, is to put your trust and give God your allegiance. It is. That in, yeah. that second part of that word yeah. is to entrust for salvation. Yeah. It's not like a simple mental assent where I go, yeah, I'll believe, but then your life doesn't change. Correct. And and let's look let's look at the two roads a little further comp- and and finish up with the with the two roads that we see at the cross. We had two okay. thieves on the cross yeah, next let's to do Jesus that. when let's we come that. back. We'll need to take a short break. We'll be right back with Jeff Dorn in a minute. some good violin that's off my second album <laughs> i didn't know you were so talented oh well i don't like to talk about it really. <laughs> all right jeff Redorn's my guest we're talking about uh, john 316 doing a deep dive on it uh jeff we have about eight minutes nine ten minutes left let's talk about the two that, thieves on the cross that music came on i was having a sip of water and i literally jumped in my seat here it just all of a sudden came on in my all right so uh two paths two roads Two ways. There's a narrow road and a small gate, and there's a broad road and a wide gate. There's mm-hmm. sheep and there's goat. There's wheats and there's tares. There's the wise and the foolish. I mean, over and over and over in Scripture, we see these two paths. And this is probably one of the biggest themes in Scripture. There's God's ways and there's man's ways. So jo- Joseph tells all of Israel, choose this day who you will serve. But as for me and my house, 
we will serve the Lord. Elijah proclaims to Israel, how long are you going to waver between these two opinions? If God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And of course, this wonderful example that we have of these two thieves on the cross. And the first thief says, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and save us. Did he believe? Did he believe Jesus was who he says he was? And did he entrust in Jesus for his salvation? No. He was looking to get down off the cross. If you are the cross, get us down from here. But the second guy, the second thief, he says this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. There is this the simple belief. That's pistuyo. He believed this guy, Jesus, was who he says he was. And he entrusted that this Jesus would be able to bring him into his future kingdom, even though the two of them were about to die on a cross. That is biblical faith. That's biblical pistuyo. Isn't that a powerful example? It's amazing. And then for that thief on the cross to hear these words from Jesus, today you will be with me in paradise. I can't think of more joyous words than that. So Jesus confirmed that this man, through his simple faith, was saved Mm -hmm. and and then had eternal life. By the way, how did the thief live his life? How many times did he go to church? Zero, what kind probably. of example? Did, yeah, probably. Yeah. And what kind of example did he give to his children? How did he raise his kids? I mean, he's being crucified. We don't know anything about this guy, obviously, but he's being crucified for the by the Romans. So we're, we assume, uh, and he's called a thief. So yeah. uh, he probably wasn't that good of guy. But you know what? We read this verse earlier that Christ was the righteous one who died for the unrighteous, for the ungodly. Christ died for sinners. Paul says, of whom. He says, I was the worst. Oh, now that's good news. I know. I always wondered if that was hyperbole when Paul said that. Yeah, I mean, you know, he was he was a a, a persecutor of Christians. Yeah, and, murderer. Um, a murderer. Yeah. So it doesn't get much worse no, than that. I guess but there it was does. a lot worse people yeah. out there, that's for sure. So. so here's the summary, that God loved the world that he gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. Uh, This is not easy believism like you mentioned earlier. In fact, I think one of the biggest hurdles that I run into talking with with people about Christ is that, oh, what do you mean? I just have to believe and I'm saved? Ah, it can't be that easy. I actually think the simplicity of the gospel can be a barrier to salvation for many. It can't be that easy, but mm-hmm. yes, the Bible declares that it is. And, and how, now in our last yeah, few minutes... Just, and just how important it, it is to talk about the cost of following Jesus as you share your faith and not make it an easy, simple decision, but help people to understand the decision they're making. Yeah, so that's the next question, right? Cool. So the, the one question is, how am I saved? Once you're saved, the next question is, how now shall I live? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and there's a lot uh, in the New Testament about how, as now a Christian, as a believer in Christ, 
God has a call now on your life. He wants you to be uh, uh, holy and blameless in this world, to be light in this world, to go out and represent God in this world, to go and make disciples in this world. So he has a call in your life. And not all of Christians follow that call as closely as others. But that is a second question. The first question is, are you saved? The second question is, now how shall I live? So the other thing is now our assurance. So we have a few minutes left. And in these last, I want to declare what a, a, a truth, a doctrine that God declares in Scripture over and over, that once you are born again, once you are saved, you can never lose your salvation. Once you have eternal life, that eternal life lasts for eternity. Jesus said that when you receive the Holy Spirit, so when you're saved, one of the things that happens is you receive the Holy Spirit. And he says, and he will be with you forever. Well, if you could lose your salvation, then eternal life would be something just short of eternal now, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. And Jesus has promised that if you could lose the Holy Spirit, well, then he couldn't say that he would be with you forever. Romans 8 declares that nothing in all creation can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing in creation can separate you from God's love in Christ. And by the way, that includes pretty much everything, because everything, including yourself, is in creation. The only thing outside of creation is God himself, and he says, I hold them in my hands, and nothing can take them out of my hand. Ephesians 1 declares that when you're marked with the seal of the Holy Spirit, he is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. That means when you receive the Holy Spirit, it's like God giving you a deposit and saying, okay, I know you don't have your inheritance yet. I'm promising you this future inheritance, basically this new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, that he, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You don't have that yet. So I'm going to give you this down payment, this deposit. It's the Holy Spirit. And the fact that I've given you my Holy Spirit, me, means that your inheritance is guaranteed by God. An inheritance, by the way, that Peter says can never perish, spoil, or fade, mm -hmm. kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power, not our own, until the coming of salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last day. I have a pastor friend that says, if we could lose our salvation, I'd lose it every day. Mm. And thank goodness, it's God who keeps it, shielded by God's power in heaven. Yeah. Jeff, if you would comment on Luke 13, where it says, away from me, you evildoers, I never knew you. Those are the most religious people of the day. What was that message from Jesus? Yeah, this is kind of like Matthew 7 and this passage here in Luke. Um, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. And uh, there are Christians who uh, lament the fact, oh, I hope I'm doing enough as a Christian because I don't want to hear those words away from me. You know, maybe I was just being religious or whatever. Those words were spoken at the very start of those passages to false prophets, false teachers. They are the ones who are preaching a false way of salvation. They never knew Christ. They never believed in Jesus. And so Jesus says their fate, the two roads, 
Mm-hmm. They're on the broad road that leads to destruction. Away from me, I never knew you. So they're not saved. Mm-hmm. A Christian, by the way, will never hear those words. True. And Jeff, I hope that nobody looks at John 3.16 the same ever again that's listened to this program. That was kind of the goal, right? Yeah, it's right. like, let's understand this verse in its in its fullness. Yeah. I mean, it's once something becomes so familiar, sometimes we miss its deep significance and its simplicity because so it's just so familiar with us. So true. It's been a, really a lot of fun doing a deep dive on John 3.16 with you, Jeff. Thank you so much for uh, taking time to be with me today. I sure look forward to the next time we're going to do this. Good. Thank you, Bill. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Jeff Verdorn has been my guest. Jeff is a longtime friend and a Bible teacher and mentor of mine, so always love having him on. And that's all the show we have for today. I really hope if you missed any of this, maybe you just jumped in your car and you thought, John 3.16, I, I know that verse. Well, I encourage you to go listen to the whole hour because you will learn lots of things that maybe you didn't know. And also, I want to say thanks to Rob Bluey and to Dr. Alex McFarland for being my guests on the show as well today. I've loved spending time with you, and I can't wait to do it again tomorrow. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.